We're going to pray. Let's start with prayer. It's a good place to start. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that we have the opportunity to look at it this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that as we consider this truth and faith in prayer, uh, that we would be encouraged, that we'd be met by you, that we'd be ones who learn to persevere in prayer. We commit this time to you, trusting that you'll use it, trusting that you'll speak to all of our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we get going this morning, I thought I'd start off with a question, and I'd like some feedback, some um, some input. What are some reasons that we struggle to pray or we don't pray? Why Why don't we pray? Okay, unbelief. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Okay, we're just tired. So it's hard to pray when we're tired. Yeah. What's that? We forget to pray. Sure. Yeah. We think we can do it on our own. Yeah. What are some other reasons? These are great. Sin. All right. Yeah. Lack of a burden. Yeah. Anything else comes to mind? These are good, good answers. Okay, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are all different reasons why we, we don't pray. Um, today, I, you know, I, I want to think about... Um, this reason, I think it was Andrew that maybe mentioned it, is sometimes we don't pray because we feel like we can fix the problem, right? Whatever it is, we, we think, uh, I don't have to pray about this. I can do this in my own strength. And proud people don't pray, right? If we're too proud, we, we just think whatever the problem is, we'll be able to, to fix it. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage where this lady comes to Jesus because she has a great overwhelming need. And it would, she can't fix the need. She can't solve the problem. So she comes to Jesus. And she comes because she's convinced he can do something about it. He is able. And so, um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, 28. Look at verse 28. Matthew 15, 28. This is the outcome of this story. Jesus said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was immediate, was healed instantly. O woman, great is your faith. This is an incredible statement for two reasons. First of all, can you think of any other passage where Jesus commends somebody for their faith? Any other passages? There's like one that's very similar to this. Can anyone guess it? Centurion. Yeah. 
The Roman centurion, I think we probably remember that story. He has a servant, he's sick, he, he doesn't even come to Jesus. He just, he, uh, or he realizes that Jesus can heal from afar, distantly, so he doesn't even ask Jesus to come and, and heal the, the servant, um, and, and touch him. He just knows Jesus can heal at a distance and ask Jesus to heal a servant. And, and it says, um, that Jesus marveled at his faith. And there's no faith like it in all of Israel. This guy had a unique faith. So it's very similar to, to this situation. But in fact, this statement, great is your faith, it's unique in that Jesus never says it of anyone else, not with this exact wording. So that's pretty incredible. This woman gets this kind of encouragement and praise from Jesus that she has great faith. It's incredible for another reason, and that other reason has to do with um, the story surrounding this passage. And in the story surrounding this passage, Jesus actually says the opposite to people. He says, you have little faith. Let me give you an example. When uh, Just prior to this, uh, um, uh, Peter gets the opportunity to walk on water. And we know how that story goes. He, Jesus uh, is walking and the disciples are in the boat and there's a storm and there's great winds. And, um, and they see Jesus and they're like, this is a ghost. And, and then they realize it's Jesus. And Peter's like, hey, can I come out and join you? And he says, you know, sure. And so Peter goes out, but then he gets afraid. He looks at the winds and he starts to sink. And he says, Lord, save me. And, and Jesus reaches out and grabs him as he sinks and rescues him. And, and he says, oh, you of little faith. So that's a, a story prior to this passage. It's found earlier in, uh, in Matthew 14. It, after this passage in Matthew 15 in chapter 16, we have another example where Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. This time he's talking to all of his disciples. He had just been talking to the Pharisees and he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And at this point, the disciples didn't have any bread with them. And they're like, Oh no. We didn't, we didn't bring the bread. And, and, and Jesus is like, oh, you have little faith. You know, he wasn't talking about bread. He was talking about their hypocrisy and the leaven of the, of the Pharisees. And, and so, um, he calls them, oh, you have little faith. But here in Matthew 15, we have someone who has great faith. This woman possesses great faith. As we look at this passage this morning, I want us to consider three questions. Hopefully you have a handout. You got a handout as you came in. Um, if not, I think we have some, some spares and maybe Reuben. If, if you don't have a handout and you'd like one, um, we can get one to you. So um, if you just want to keep your, your hand up and Reuben can get it out. Thank you so much. But three questions. Uh, first of all, what is this woman's situation? What does that look like? How did she express faith? So what's her situation? That's the first question. The, the second one is, what are the characteristics of this woman's faith? What is great faith? Because she had great faith. So what are those characteristics? And then the third question is, what is the basis of her faith? 
And we're thinking about this in the context of prayer because this woman is interceding. She's praying for her daughter, who we know at the end gets healed. She's healed instantly. So we're thinking about this in the context of of prayer. And as we look at this, I think you'll find it to be a great encouragement to your own prayer life. And this woman and how she expresses faith in a very difficult situation. Um, So let's learn about this woman. Let's find out who she is. And to do that, let's look at uh, verse 21, same chapter, Matthew 15, 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. All right, so if we were to read more of this uh, part of Matthew, we would see that Jesus has been withdrawing. Um, It starts basically at the beginning of chapter 14, and it's going to continue on into chapter 17. And Matthew records all these different times of Jesus withdrawing, pulling away. And um, he goes, we're told, to Tyre and Sidon. He's been in the area of Galilee, and he goes northwest about 30 miles to, to Tyre, and then about 50 miles up to Sidon. So he's up in this area northwest of Galilee along the Mediterranean. And he moves there. And the important thing to note is that he's left the area of Israel. He's in a Gentile region now. We get some more details in Mark's account of this story that Jesus, at this point, he's trying to get away from the crowds. It says he's in a house and he doesn't want people to know he's there. He's always around people. And when he's someplace, crowds just form. They flock to him because he's able to heal sick people. He has a tremendous teaching. And um, and so he's taking some time away. And there's different reasons why he, he does this, why he has been withdrawing. And, and we won't get into that right now. But there's another theme that's running through these chapters in Matthew that's actually going to help us understand this passage about this woman. So I want to take a little bit of time to look at what Matthew has been saying, because again, this will contribute to our understanding of this woman. Um, In chapter 14, this is where Jesus initially withdraws, and we're told he goes to a deserted place. But when he gets there, there's a crowd And so Jesus, having compassion, he teaches them and he feeds them. And this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000 men. So there's more than 5,000 people there, if you include women and children. And, um, you know, we know how this story goes. There's no food. And Jesus tells his disciples, uh, you get them something to eat and, and they don't have anything to provide. And and so they, they bring these loaves and fishes, and Jesus does the miracle. He, he's able to feed thousands off of that very little bit. Well, following this story, Jesus has the disciples get in a boat, and he goes up to the mountain to pray by himself. You know, originally that's what he was trying to do, is get, get alone from the crowds and all. And uh, so he sends the disciples away, he dismisses the crowds, he goes to pray. And the disciples, as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, they get caught up in a storm. And as I mentioned, this is where Jesus comes walking across the water. They see him. They think he's a, a ghost. 
and Peter goes out and walks with him on the water. And notice uh, in verse 33, Jesus gets in the boat and they worship him. They say, truly, you are the son of God. And then following this, Jesus heals many people. They get to a certain area across the sea and, and they just bring sick people. And what's so amazing is that these people understand that Jesus has such incredible power that they say, if we just touch it, the hem of his garment will be healed. So they understand something of Jesus, that he has great power. Well, right after this, we have a story of the Pharisees and the scribes coming all the way from Jerusalem. That's down south. Galilee's up north. They come all the way from Jerusalem to talk to Jesus. And what do they talk to him about? Not his miracles, not the feeding of the 5,000. They talk to him about why his disciples aren't observing the traditions that they have. And they're not washing their hands in a ceremonial way. And so they, they accuse Jesus of this. And it's interesting, they don't accuse him. They talk about his disciples, but it's really an attack against Jesus. And so they, they come to him and it's very clear they have no understanding of who they're dealing with. And Jesus calls them out. He says, you're a hypocrite. You're hypocrites. You, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So then Jesus calls the crowds and he, he explains and And look at chapter 15, verse 10. This is the crowds that he calls to him. And he says, hear and understand. So he wants to explain. He wants them to understand. And then he he talks to them and the the disciples, um, they come and say, you know what, Jesus, the Pharisees are offended by what you said, by calling them out. And so Jesus gives a parable. He gives some illustrations and Peter's like, can you explain that? We don't understand. And Jesus says in verse 16, are you still without understanding? So do you see what these passages have in common? There's a running theme of understanding. People don't understand Jesus. Or maybe they do, and and so they have you know, they come and they bring their sick so that they can touch his garments. But we, we have these stories of people not really understanding who they're dealing with. But then we have this woman. And it sure seems like she understands something about Jesus. And what's interesting is if you go on after this story about this woman, you have another recounting of uh, Jesus healing multitudes, And then you get this other story about Jesus who feeds 4,000. And this is in another Gentile region. And it's so funny because Jesus has already fed 5,000. He's already walked on water. He's already healed a ton of sick people. And Jesus tells his disciples, these people have been with me for three days. We should feed them. And they're like, what are we going to feed them with? This is a desolate place. And you're like, why the world? Like, surely you would, you could trust, you could understand that Jesus could do this, but they don't. So this is kind of a theme through this section of understanding who Jesus is. And in the midst of all of this misunderstanding, 
we have this woman who has some understanding, incredible understanding of who Jesus is. So Jesus, he's been withdrawing. He withdraws to this region of Tyre and Sidon. And in verse 22, we learn more about this woman and what's going on in her life. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So several things that we learn at this point about this woman and her situation. First of all, we're told she's a Canaanite. Now, does that ring any bells? What, who was, who's, who are the Canaanites? What, go back to some Old Testament history. Who are the Canaanites? Right. They're the ones that God said, get rid of, get them out of the promised land that I'm giving to you. And Joshua was their leader at the time. So she's a descendant of some that, that remained. They were enemies of the people of God, of Israel. And yet here she comes to Jesus. So she's a Canaanite. She's not a Jew. She's not an Israelite. And um, scholars mention that most likely she was an idolatress, that she worshipped idols. The Gentiles in this region worshipped idols. Their culture was full of wickedness and sin. And yet... It seems like at some point she's realized how those idols are false and she's decided to turn to Jesus because she comes to him for help and she calls him Lord, son of David. John MacArthur in his commentary writes, the fact that she came to Jesus, a Jewish teacher and healer, indicates she was disillusioned with the idolatry and immoral debauchery that characterized her religion. In turning to Jesus, she turned away from the way of Satan and sin to the way of God. So she's repented. That's what we call it, repentance. So we learn that she's turned to Jesus. We also see she's desperate. The crying out, it says in verse 22, and was crying out. In the Greek, that word crying out has the idea of shouting. She was shouting. And the verb tense is that of continuously. She was continuing to shout. Remember, Jesus is kind of tucked away in a house. And you can just imagine she's outside shouting out, have mercy on me. And she's doing it continuously. So she's desperate. We see that desperation continue on in the story. She's got to get to Jesus. And we know why she's desperate. It's, she says, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. We don't know what exactly that means. Matthew doesn't tell us, but she's being oppressed by a demon. So this woman has an overwhelming situation. We don't know if she's tried to help her daughter previously. We don't know any of that information if she's tried to do certain things to relieve her daughter, but we do know she seems overwhelmed. And so she's turned to Jesus to help. 
And so she has this overwhelming situation and she turns to Jesus. This is this woman in, in her situation. You know, we've talked about this already or you, you've heard about this already at the this conference, how we too can have overwhelming situations. Problems that make us feel inadequate, insufficient. I think we can all relate to this woman because we all have these situations. Maybe not even in our own lives. Maybe it's in the lives of other people that we know, our friends, our family members. And and we just feel overwhelmed. Some of you here, uh, and I, I know this is true because I'm speaking to the to the students, you got to make decisions about the future. And sometimes those decisions are, are big. They, they impact your life and they're, they're big decisions and it can be overwhelming to have to make that decision. You, you don't want to do your own thing. You want to be sure you're in the will of God and, and it's a big decision and it's just, Oh, what am I going to do? Maybe this morning, what's on your mind isn't so much making life defining decisions. Maybe you're, just feeling overwhelmed about what's going on in the world. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot that makes it feel like, are we going back to the Cold War, right? Do we Should we start building bomb shelters uh, again? Um, maybe because of all that's going on in the world, you're retired, you look at the stock market, you look at the cost of living, the cost of living going up, the stock market's not going great. How are you going to make up the difference? What are you going to do? Those are some big, overwhelming situations. They're tough. They're not easy. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe you, or again, it, it may not be you. It may be someone that you know who's really struggling with their health, and they don't know what's going on. And what do you do? You feel overwhelmed. You feel insufficient. You feel inadequate. This woman had a very serious situation in her life. And what does she do? She goes to Jesus. She's desperate, yet she believes Jesus can help her, can heal her daughter. You know, sometimes when we feel overwhelmed, it drives us to despair. But for this woman, it drives her to Christ. The sense of feeling overwhelmed, it just pushes her to the Lord. But sometimes, isn't it true that when we feel helpless and overwhelmed, we try to deal with it ourselves and we don't pray? We think, I can fix this. I can figure this out. Why is that? Well, it's because we're proud. That's why I do it, right? (laughs) That's personal confession. Yeah, I don't always pray because I think I can fix it, whatever the problem is. But the truth is, we're always helpless. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the overwhelming situations just help us to see our helplessness. And so it should drive us to the Lord. That's what this woman does. She takes that situation, that sense of helplessness and overwhelming feeling, and she goes to the Lord. She looks to the Lord. And she goes to him and makes these requests. She prays. And that, that expression, that, that um, taking the situation to the Lord is what we call faith. 
What is faith? Uh, well, I like simple definitions, simple words. And a couple of years ago, I came across this really good, simple understanding of, of faith. And I think, not 100% sure, but I think it was through Jerry Bridges in reading one of his books. But he said, you know, you can think of faith as the word reliance, like you rely on someone or something. That's faith. You're relying on the chairs that you're sitting on, that they're going to hold you up, that you'll defy gravity by sitting in those chairs. Relying on it. You have faith in it. You're trusting in it. That's what this woman's doing. She's relying on Jesus to help her. She's expressing faith. When she has this overwhelming situation, she expresses faith. When we face overwhelming situations, we should pray and express our faith in Jesus. Well, what did her faith look like? In this passage, we see five characteristics of faith that she expresses. Great faith, I might add, that she expresses. And let's learn about faith from this woman and, and learn how to pray, really trusting the Lord. What are the characteristics of this woman's faith? This is the second question that we're looking at. And some of these characteristics we can already note in verse 22. First one, basically we just, we just mentioned that faith involves seeing our helplessness and then taking that helplessness to Jesus. That's part of faith, seeing I, I can't do anything about it. I'm overwhelmed. I'm helpless. And then saying, Lord, you can do something about it. Letting those situations, those circumstances drive us to the Lord. That's faith. That's expressing faith. Um, but there's something else to note already about faith in, in just what we've read in verse 22. Think about this. Who is this woman? Well, we mentioned she's a Canaanite. That tells us something about faith. What does it tell us? Anyone can have faith. She's not royalty. We don't know anything about her social status. In fact, we know she's not even a Jew. She's not even an Israelite. She's nobody special. Meaning, you can be a person of great faith and not be a pastor. And not be a Bible teacher. And not be a missionary. Anyone can be a person of great faith. You don't have to be someone in ministry to be a great person of faith. Any person. Abraham was not a king he was not a great leader like Moses. He was just a normal guy. And the Lord came to him and said, pack up your bags, go to the land, I'll show you. He was a normal guy. To be a person of faith, it, it, you don't have to be anyone special. And this woman, she wasn't anyone special. She was a Canaanite, in fact, not even a Jew. And yet she had great faith. So this should encourage us. We can be a person of faith. Faith is not based on us being anyone special, anyone. It, we can, it's not based on who we are. That's what I mean by that statement, okay? We, we don't have to be some great person in ministry. 
We can be anyone and be a person of great faith. But here's something else about faith that we can note about this woman. And I mentioned it already when we were talking about her not going to the idols, but going to Jesus. And that's that faith really begins with turning from idols and self and sin and turning to Jesus. That's the beginning point of faith. And it would seem like this woman has done that, that she's turned away from those things because she's turned to Jesus. She calls him Lord. She calls him son of David. So faith begins with turning from all those things and turning to Jesus. But let's keep looking at some more characters, characteristics of faith that we see in this woman in these next several verses. So she cries out to Jesus in verse 22, and she's shouting, and she's doing this a lot, and it's very loud. But look at verse 23. He did not answer her a word. He's silent. He remains silent. And yet she doesn't give up. She's still shouting. Why do we say that? Well, because the disciples come and they beg Jesus, send her away. Just send her away. They're annoyed, it would seem. She says, for she's crying out after us. And, um, and commentators are a little split as to how to understand what the disciples are saying here. Um, there's some that would say that um, by the disciples telling Jesus to send her away, they want him to help her. There's others commentators that say, it seems like they're saying, just get rid of her. and Don't even help her. Just get her out of here. She's so annoying, so loud. Um, and, it, and it's hard to say what direction um, what they intend and what they're saying. But notice what Jesus says in verse 24. It's kind of harsh. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Strange, yet it's true. You know, Jesus never traveled extensively in his ministry. He's not like Paul who went up to Rome and Athens and Corinth. Jesus never really travels around. He basically does stay in the land of Israel. And he goes up to this place, Tyre and Sidon, Caesarea Philippi, and that area. But he doesn't really go beyond that, up north at least. Um, And in his ministry, he primarily stays in the land of Israel. He doesn't really travel around. And Jesus received the mission from his mission from the Father. The Father sent him to his own. We read about that in John chapter 1, and they did not receive him. And so you might wonder, well, wait a minute, doesn't Jesus love us all? Doesn't he love all the little children? Uh, what is this, that, that he came only for the lost sheep of, of Israel? Well, remember the end of the story. Jesus does grant her request. In fact, throughout the book of Matthew, there's a running theme of how Jesus' kingdom includes the Gentiles. Think about how Matthew ends. It ends with the Great Commission. Go to the nations. Jesus sends his disciples to the nations. So Jesus is not being um, exclusive here in saying, I just came for the, the Jews, he does love the Gentiles as well. And he does grant her request. 
And, and notice this. He doesn't grant the request of the disciples. They just want her gone. And, and he's, he doesn't send her away. He lets her stay. He lets her continue to, um, to cry out to him. And so, um, even though he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, there is room for others. The kingdom expands to others as well. And so he doesn't send her away. Instead, he's kind of testing her. And, and we've heard a lot about this already. Last night with, um, with Mr. Don and, and this morning, we've heard about it already, how the Lord does allow some testing in our lives. And, and that's what he's doing with her here. But Jesus continues to make some more strange statements. Let's look at the rest of this passage. She comes to him. She kneels down and says, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now it seems like he's insulting her. What? How do we understand this? Well, by this illustration here, he's referring to the children being the Jews and the dogs being her, the Gentiles. And before you think that Jesus is insulting this woman, it's important to know a little bit of Greek. Because in the Greek, Jesus could have used a word for dog that meant these wild, mangy kind of dogs that just eat the roadkill sort of dogs. But that's not the Greek word that Jesus uses here. He uses a nicer term for dog in this passage. The, the Greek word that he uses here is a dog that's more like a chihuahua. It's like a house pet kind of dog, okay? Um, and it's these little lap dogs. And, and so again, he, he could have used a lot worse of a word for dog than he does. Uh, so it's not so much of an insult, uh, it, it, she's, it's like, she, you know, why would you throw, uh, take the food away from the, the children and throw it to these little house dogs? Um, you know, another way you could think of what Jesus says here is think of it in the positive. What do I mean? Well, the positive is the right thing to do is to feed the children. You know, you wouldn't, Starve your children so that you could feed your pets, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't think any of us here would do that. Uh, we, we feed our children and, uh, so, uh, um, so Jesus here is making a, another interesting remark. And, and notice in this, this woman doesn't get offended. She doesn't stomp away, you know, and, and we'll forget you, Jesus. You called me a, a little dog. Um, she doesn't respond in, in that way. Instead, she latches on to something that Jesus says, and she agrees. I'm not a Jew. I don't fit in the category of children. I'm not part of the lost sheep. She shows incredible humility, doesn't she? She accepts what Jesus says here. And yet, she takes a little bit of what Jesus says, and she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So in this interaction, we see she keeps asking. She stays humble, even though Jesus is silent, even though Jesus says some strange things that could have been perhaps offensive. She doesn't 
get offended. She agrees. She stays humble. And that's something else to note about faith. Faith perseveres and is humble. Again, we've, we've heard these themes already in this conference. That faith perseveres and faith is, is humble. Why did Jesus say these things? Why did he act like this to this woman? Well, I, I can't say 100%, but as I was looking at this passage, looking at commentators, one commentator made a really helpful comment. And that is, we would know nothing about this woman's faith and the, the greatness of the faith if he had healed her daughter immediately. You know, if, if she had come and said, heal my daughter, and she was, the daughter was healed, we wouldn't have seen how she persevered and how she had incredible faith. It's through the testing, it revealed the quality of her faith, that she had great faith. She didn't sink like Peter. She kept her eyes on Jesus, kept coming to him. She had great faith, and the test revealed her faith. And we would have never have known about her great faith and what great faith looks like if she had just gone away, walked away, or if Jesus had even healed immediately. And so like we've already talked about before, you know, sometimes when we pray, we don't get the answer right away. The Lord seems to remain silent, like with this woman, or maybe things go on that cause us confusion, like what is the Lord even doing right now in this situation? What is the Lord doing? He, he's pleased with faith. He wants us to have persevering faith. Why? Well, as we've already heard before, the Lord is pleased with faith. Hebrews chapter 11, 1 Peter, we've heard about that. And so this woman has great faith that perseveres. She has humble faith as well. She doesn't think of herself more highly than she ought. She's not proud. She accepts what Jesus thinks of her. That's humility. Having a right view of ourselves, that's humility. And so she perseveres. She remains humble. And then in verse 28, as we read early on, the woman rewards her Faith. He praises her faith and rewards her. Why? Well, again, faith pleases God. It pleases him. And we see that he's pleased with this woman's faith. And he rewards her for her faith. And again, as we've already heard before, the Lord doesn't always answer our prayers the way we would like for him to. But we are to persevere, to bring pleasure to him by continuing to trust in him. And there will be a reward for our faith. Think about all the people mentioned in in Hebrews chapter 11. They were living by faith and yet they died not having received what was promised. They were looking for something else. The reward was out ahead. That's great faith. So this woman, she had her noticed her helplessness. She went to the Lord about it. She didn't come based on who she was. She was a normal person. Faith begins by turning away from idols and turning to Jesus. Faith perseveres and is humble. Faith is pleasing to God and it's rewarding as well. But I want to end by answering this 
going to this last question and answering it, what is the basis of her faith? Like, why did she take her helplessness to Jesus? Why did she persevere? Why did she remain humble? Well, there's one more aspect of this woman's faith that we haven't noted yet. And it's found in what the woman says. I think that's the key to why she persevered and why we can persevere when we're praying and we don't see the answers. What is it that enabled her to persevere? Look at verse 22 and read what this woman says. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Notice she calls him Lord. She calls him son of David. That's a messianic title. So she understands. Again, we're in a passage where there's a lot of misunderstanding, but she gets it. She knows who Jesus is. And she knows that he is merciful. Have mercy on me. Have mercy. So she gets it. And this is crucial. She believes that Jesus is merciful, even though at times it doesn't seem like he is. At times when he's silent, why does she stay? He's merciful. I know it. Why doesn't she get offended? Why doesn't she stop and pack up her bags and and leave? Because she knows he's merciful. And that's what holds her there. She knows who Jesus is. And that's what her faith is based on. On the character of God. She agrees with Jesus. You know, uh, look at verse 27. There's even a hint of mercy here, right? Yeah, the dogs aren't given the bread. But even they get some crumbs. They have some mercy that falls from the table. So she knows that Jesus is merciful and she remains unshaken. What do we mean by the fact that Jesus is merciful? Well, it means um, mercy has the idea of undeserved favor. But mercy can mean more than just that. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones writes about mercy. He says this, Mercy really means a sense of pity plus a desire to relieve the suffering. She knew that Jesus had compassion and that he could do something about it, about her situation. She knew that the Lord was merciful. And even though it didn't initially look like it, she knew it and she kept on asking. She kept on seeking. She kept on knocking. This woman reminds me of what we hear in Daniel chapter 11, that those who know their God, they stand firm and they take action. It's those who know the Lord and really know him who will persevere in their faith. They know who he is. You know, when we're praying and the Lord seems silent, what do we do? When we're praying for people and and maybe others discourage us in our prayer life, like the disciples, they try to discourage her, to get her to stop. What do we do? 
We've got to come back to who the Lord is. That's the basis of this woman's faith. This woman has great faith because she trusted in the great character of God. If you and I are going to be people of great faith, and we can, this was just, she was a regular woman, just like all of us. We need to know who the Lord is. And the Lord has given us sufficient revelation of who he is in his word. We can know him and learn to trust him and learn to persevere in prayer by learning about him in his word. It's the best revelation of who he is. And we can know him as we spend time with him and fellowship and walk with him and learn to trust him. So here's this woman. She has a helpless situation. If we're going to be people who pray, we we need to recognize we're helpless. That's where it starts, realizing just how helpless we are. But we don't end there. We then trust that Jesus can meet us, that he can enable us. And that's where faith enters in. And in this faith, we learn to trust him. We learn to see that he may not give us a quick and easy answer. Why might he be prolonging the answer or the solution? Well, it could be he wants us to grow our faith. He wants to test our faith, not because he's mean, but he's looking for faith. And he wants to see if we're really relying on who he is and on his character. So let's bring our helplessness our overwhelming situations to Jesus and rely on his mercy. He hasn't changed. You and I can have great faith. Why? Not because we're great people, but because we have a great God that we serve. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I I thank you that though we change, you change not. We thank you that um, you're still just as merciful. You can meet us in our needs and you'll do so in a way that will most glorify you. Father, increase our faith. Give us more faith. We pray that you would show us more of yourself, that we might learn to trust you more and have more faith. Open our eyes, cause us to see. Father, I pray for those in this room who are having to persevere who are being tested. Father, even this weekend, may you refresh their souls with a greater glimpse of who you are. Show us your glory, Father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.